So hello and welcome to One Step Ahead. This is Mike Wheeler and I'm here with Kim Leary, co-host of One Step Ahead. And I am thrilled that our guest today is Debbie Kolb. Debbie Kolb is a longtime friend of ours and colleague as well, um, has written in a very impactful way about negotiating at work. My interest obviously overlaps yours. I'm interested in agile negotiation, negotiation dynamics. And Kim, how would you describe what your focus is? Well, I teach on adaptive leadership, and I also teach on how one can lead a team productively. But my experience with Debbie goes well beyond that. She is a, a longtime friend, and her advice about how to think creatively at work is one of the reasons I'm here in Cambridge. So in Cambridge, as in across the river from where we are right now at Harvard Business School, but over at the uh, Kennedy School of Government and also the School of Public Health. And the medical school. Oh, my goodness. That's the trifecta. But where is it you're teaching the team stuff? Um, So I teach a team's course uh, at the School of Public Health on enabling teams in a public health context, and then a brand new course that I'm launching in two weeks at the Kennedy School on leading teams for public impact. Wow. Well, so what we ought to do is get Debbie Kolb in here to talk about her book because it seems to be spot on in terms of our interests. If I may start out the conversation, when I ever do any kind of on-site training, I have people in the organization or the company answer a simple survey. And the question that I ask has two parts. One is, what is the most challenging negotiation you've had this past year? And the second part of it is, 2020 hindsight, what advice would you give somebody dealing with the same thing today? And I don't know, Kim, whether this would surprise you, but half of the examples come from internal negotiations. I don't ask that. I don't limit it to that. But people don't necessarily put negotiation in the same ballpark as as working in a company, but it's all negotiation in my view. Kim, do you agree or? Yeah, I think that negotiation and understanding both the internal negotiations and the conversations you have with others is just top of mind for my students as well as those who are in work settings. And I think understanding what one can do is really a part of what people are looking to learn. Deb, how did you get into this? I've just been writing another paper about this. When I, um, uh, my dissertation was on mediation and I looked at sort of practice. And then as I moved to look in negotiation, as I had a lot of women students and I looked to negotiation, I got interested in the work of um, Anselm Strauss. He and his colleagues at the University of Chicago used to study medical organizations. And they talked about organizations as being negotiated orders that people do things, and that's what becomes sort of the rules of the game until it changes, and it's always changing. That's adaptive leadership for Kim. Yeah, so do you know the work of Strauss? So the sociology work in these, in these hospital settings. But the interesting question would I always start when I teach these programs. I always say to people, how many of you negotiate with clients, suppliers, external people? Everyone raises their hand. And I say, what makes you good? And I get a whole list, you know, I, I know the people really well, I'm 
clear about the authority that I have to negotiate. Um, I pay attention to the other side. So they tell me all these things. And I say, listen, I have no way of validating that. Sounds good to me. Then I ask them, what's different when you negotiate for yourself? And that's where we start to get interesting. Well, you know, all those things I said, well, it's sort of a little bit true. I don't get very emotional when I negotiate externally. I'm much more emotional when I negotiate for myself at work. Um, I have a hard time thinking about what I want. You know, it's given to me when I think about negotiating for the company. I'm pretty clear what we want, but it's very hard for me to think about what I want. And then I have to worry about ongoing relationships, right? I'm afraid I'm going to push too hard. Um, and so I get this whole list of things. And but when I say, how many people think it's the same? Nobody raises their hand. Right. How many people think it's different? Everybody raises their hand. And emotional comes out, you know, ongoing relationships come out, all those things. And one of the things that I say to them is, you know, when you negotiate at work, what you're doing is you're negotiating change. And because you're negotiating change, you're going to meet resistance. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, you have a project running. You want to expand the project. Well, other people are going to be involved in that. It means it's going to be change. So somebody that's very happy with the way things are going, all of a sudden you're telling them you want to you change how it's done. You want it to be different. You want a role that you're not on the screen for. Ah, well. Why weren't you on the screen, right? You don't, you don't say that exactly, but you can make people feel like, well, why didn't they consider you? They can feel a little bit defensive. You know, I do a lot of things. People ask you to do a lot of work, a lot of extra kind of work, and you, you're going to negotiate not doing it. Well, who's going to do it, right? So I think all of these things lead to changes. So it makes negotiation at work a little bit different than negotiating when you're in formal roles. The other thing that's different at work is there's no formal structure for it. It's not like you're sitting down for a contract negotiation. Maybe you can do it in a performance review, but you have to start something. Maybe it's a project review and you turn it into a negotiation. And so thinking about how you get people to the table to negotiate with you is an issue that you don't necessarily have when you have a structured external negotiation about a contract. I think about teams and there are people who teach courses and team behavior and so forth. I would be one of those, Mike. Yeah, right, right. And to me, that's negotiation. It's not necessarily, I'll give you some of this if you give me some of that. But I, I say, and I would, frankly, I'd apply this to external negotiations as well. You negotiate how to negotiate, right? And part of that happens rather quickly if it's a first-time kind of thing. But who are we? Are we friend? Are we foe? Are you up and I'm down? Um, right, but in organizations, this is an ongoing thing. You know, right? It's not who am I? We know who we are, and we're going to try to change some of those, change some of those things. And so it's, I think it's a little bit different from external negotiations. That's why I think people think there's more on the line. You know, I think external negotiations, you know, when you're negotiating for yourself, you know, I think that, that there are similarities there. But I think when you're in your organization, and you're trying to negotiate for something, it implies change. And people resist change. Yeah, well, they, it's, it's interesting from an adaptive leadership point of view. People do resist change, but maybe it's not quite change, that they resist the fact that something will be different, a.k.a. Yes. they will lose something. Yes, I agree. So I, I, when I say change, I don't mean organizational change. I mean something about the way things have been going will change. I was teaching a course yesterday, and one of the women came up to me, and she said, 
okay, so my boss says to me, you really need to negotiate with your colleague and you need to get the work that he's doing into your domain, right? Is her boss gonna do that for her? No, she's gonna have to deal with this person. You think that person's gonna be happy about giving up that work? That's a kind of change, I think, where you get some resistance. And you know, you, it might be good for the organization, but there is, you get this, you really are changing things. Um, we do a little case in the courses that I do with us. It's a classic case that was given to me, one of the companies that I did work for years ago. Guy is gonna hire somebody in sales. He's gonna pick Frank, salesman, salesman, who he knows. And Alicia wants the job, right? Why do you think Bob is gonna pick Frank? No, he knows Frank, right? Is he the right person for the job? Not clear. Does he have criteria for the job? Not clear. For Alicia to put herself forward, she's gonna cause, it's not gonna be so easy for her to deal with somebody like Bob about that. A lot riding on the line for her, a lot riding on the line for him as well. And also Frank might not be so happy. Here the rules of the game are, are not explicit and not necessarily shared. Not, well, so you know, even how, we have a conversation, well, how does, how does Alicia get on Bob's calendar? <laughs> to talk, how's she gonna introduce what she's gonna say? You know, it's one thing when you do a contract, we have sort of routines for that. The title of my book is um, Negotiating at Work, Turn Small Wins into Big Gains. And what I think happens is when you negotiate those changes, it changes the negotiated order. So for Alicia, in order to get this job, she probably has to get Bob to be clear about the criteria that he's using for this role. He hasn't thought about that. Once he has the criteria, that's a very different ball of wax from just picking somebody you know. And can you give me an example of what you mean by criteria? What might that be in a job? Yeah, so um, you know, how many years experience? It's a sales organization. How, how is this, the group that you've run? How well, what has your performance been? What are the actual requirements for the job? One of the issues in this case is that you know, Alicia has a family and she might not be free in the evenings. Well, is that really a criteria? Is that really important for the job? Are there other ways to uh, have clients? So, you know, having a job description makes a really big difference. And shaping it. And shaping it. And so when, if Alicia gets Bob to have this job description, that's a, a win because it changes the next time people want this job. Well, I know what I'm applying for. It's not so amorphous. So Alicia is potentially able to institute a change not just for herself, but for the firm at large. It, she does, and she doesn't realize it. You know, she's just thinking about herself, but once she does it, um, it changes. So I use this example of this woman. It was a woman that I had in a program, and after she took the negotiation course, she said, you saved my life. Oh, wow, who hears those kinds of things, right? She was a financial person, had worked for this company for a long time, and she got promoted to her dream job, but she had to relocate. We'll say she had to reload to, to Texas. And her family came, and they hated it there. And they said to her, we're going back to Pennsylvania with or without you. Before she took the course, she thought she's going to quit her job, even though it was her dream job. But then she thought, I can actually negotiate how to do this job. The, it had always been that people at her level, it was a very senior level, were at corporate headquarters. Nobody else, everyone was at corporate headquarters. She negotiated something called the dual office. It had a lot of little pieces to it, how often she would be there, how much she would help this guy with the field work. You know, a lot of things were, were part of it. But the thing is, it's no longer the case that to take a job like that, you have to locate to the corporate office. She's changed that. It's, it's clear. 
So when you're in that kind of circumstance, when the opportunity is there, there's a, a thought about how I might move this forward. How do the Alicias of the world get behind themselves in order to start that process? Well, they read my book. They read the <laughs> book, of course. <laughs> you know, so I, I think one of the things that I, uh, this other piece of paper I brought is all the things you negotiate. So the first thing I talk about, you know, what are the things that we don't necessarily think, you know, we think about pay, we think about budget, we might think about people to staff a project. Or parking. Or parking, right, <laughs> or parking, right. But we don't necessarily think of all the things that we really do negotiate. And so I think one of the important things is to have a sense of where negotiation happens. And the other thing I always like to say is, you know, anytime anybody asks you to do something, it's an opportunity to negotiate. Because I would say you're in the best possible position because I've actually asked you. So I try, in the work that I do and in the book that I wrote, is to try to help people recognize those occasions. So that's, that's part conceptual in terms of how taking a broader view of negotiating at work. Right. right. Um, but in your book, when I assign parts of it, my students, Kim, I'm very interested in the moves and turns portion yes, of it yes. that deal with different kinds of power. Can you can yes. you say a little? Because this is actually makes it actionable. We know I wrote that moves and turns paper a long time ago. But in this book, one of the things that I do is I expand the notion of thinking about people's interests. And what I talk about is mindfulness. And the mindfulness that I translate is Think about people's five good reasons for saying no to what you offer and, and from their perspective, in the context in which they're in. And so those five good reasons often become the substance of moves, right? So um, if we take Alicia again, Bob could say, um, you're not ready, right? And so... If she thinks of his five good reasons for saying no to her, to her proposal, one of the things would, she would come up with, well, how do I show that I'm ready? So if you've thought about their good reasons for saying no, you can go into those negotiations with some sense of where the moves might come from. I used to think that I had stolen from you in, in a, <laughs> making this phrase. You claim not to own it. To get a yes, expect a no. Is, uh -huh. is my distillation. I say, okay. And if we believe we're deserving, if we believe we've earned something, we think of all the reasons why we should get it. Right. And it requires a degree of detachment, I'd even say, to step back and say, what are the reasons they might say no? And one reason might be the classic, if I do it for you, I have to do it for everybody. How do you answer that? Well, if everybody's doing as well as I am, then the company's going to prosper by, by, by giving it. Or right. I'm an exceptional case, and when you see right. something else like this, you'll right. respond. Right. Uh, so what, what I suggest, the way I use this idea of good reasons for saying no, is that if you think about those, you can put it into your proposal. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, if this person who wants to have this dual office, the person is worried that if he does it for her, the floodgates are going to open and no one's going to want to work at the corporate office. So one of the things that she could put into her proposals, let's come up with criteria for who gets to have this benefit. But the second, so you can put it in your proposal, but the second way you can do it, and this is where I sort of take some of the work from Sarah Cobb, um, which is 
mentioning a good reason early on because you know it's sitting there and then you can talk about it. So one of the things I suggest in that particular case, you might not be able to put in your proposal, but after you've introduced that in the negotiations, you might say, you know, it, it's possible, I bet you're thinking that if you give this to me, you know, the floodgates are gonna open and every person's gonna want this. So let's figure out how we can deal with that and let's come up with something together. So I think you can put the good reasons into your proposals and some of them you try to insert into your mm -hmm. process. In a preemptive way. In a preemptive way, because you've really thought, and you know, it's very hard to think about people's good reasons for saying no. I usually put up, before I start there, I have the left-hand side is, we're strategic, we take the long-term perspective, we do everything for the good of the company and uh, everything. And the, they, on the other hand, take the short-term perspective. They, they're self-interested. And I always like to say, nobody wakes up in the morning, looks at themselves in the mirror and said, I have a short-term focus, I'm self-interested, mm -hmm, <laughs> I'm right. uncooperative. And so you have to think about the good reasons from their That's what I meant about detachment. Yeah, okay. In terms of stepping yeah. outside yourself. Right. Yeah. So yesterday I overheard some students who were listening to a presentation at the break and they said it's great to learn about all these problems that exist but unless I have some tools right. I'm not going to stay. So I think right. one of the things you're offering is a set of negotiation tools right. but beyond that when I think about the Alicia's of the world right. who are my students sometimes they don't feel that they actually are deserving. They're trying to mobilize that sense of I am here right. and therefore I can make a claim. Right. And I think to give um, a tool that says you can think through what the other person's point of view is right. helps people to feel that they're not just subject to that right. person's point right. of view. Right. I also think that um, I, I say to people to get negotiations off the ground you have to make your value visible. Why, does, why would somebody want to negotiate with you? So I think that that gets to also thinking about, you know, what have I done that's important to my group and my company? And I want to get that into the dialogue because why is the person going to negotiate with me if they don't appreciate me? I say, I always tell people, what's your value proposition? That the person, I would say, everybody works hard, right? We all work hard. But what specifically? What do you say in terms of making your case before the conversation? In other words, actually going to your colleagues and saying, can you confirm this? Will you support that? I could imagine, obviously, it's nice to have evidence. I could also see that that might seem like politicking. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, every time anyone says something good about you that you send the email to your boss. I just, I think it's important to think about how you... People negotiate with you because you have something they want, right? And so you have to make it visible in some way, yeah. So let me ask you about that because, yeah. um, you know, there, there are all kinds of hacks that people talk about in order to uh, make their value apparent uh, in a company. But aren't there differential cost to men and women, people from minority groups, when they make a claim about their own value? Well, so I think you have to, th I mean, I think that's absolutely right. You have to know who you're dealing with. I always say, know what you know about the person you're dealing with, right? And I don't think that your claim is necessarily made overtly. You don't say, I, this is the greatest thing that I did. Um, those kinds of things can come in the form of people who have said good things about you and maybe you send it on every once in a while. When you start a negotiation, you talk about how, because I think one of the things that we know about when women do this, they're supposed to talk about the team. So let me just tell you how my team just did 
in the last quarter um, is another way of sort of bringing, uh, bringing your making your value visible. And women are to talk about the value to the team because? For, for a lot of reasons. I always think to get what you want, it's really good to connect what's good for you to what's good for your organization. And that's for everybody. That's for, I think that's for everybody. I think women often face a double bind in negotiation about being assertive but being also relational. I have two stories about connecting what's good for you to what's good for the organization. In my classes, I do something you know they've always done in the negotiation courses, you know, enrolling somebody and doing your practicing your own negotiation. And in one program, which was a financial services company, we videotaped it. Um, we videotaped them negotiating it. And then they had some other parts of the curriculum, a lot of things that uh, wasn't more negotiation things. It was stuff more about leadership um, and thinking about authenticity and things. And then we, we videotaped them again. And in half of them, the first videotape was all about me, 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 here's what I deserve. And the second one, totally located in the organization. You know, the CEO says we really need to cut costs. And let me tell you why my idea is going to do that. Or we just lost a big team in China. And so I think we have to reorganize our teams in order to meet that. And so I think that's a great strategy for everybody because I think it really, you really are showing that it's not, it gets over this feeling about selfishness or that you're not sort of legitimate. I think you're really trying to connect it to something that's bigger. When we talk about leadership and authority in an adaptive leadership yeah, right. context, yeah. we often talk about the role of the authority figure, usually the person who has the title, right, right. as needing to provide a kind of service to their team or to their firm. Right, right. And that's, in exchange for that, that's where the sense of power and authority right, comes right, from. Right, right. So this is the flip of the, this is the inverse of this. Exactly. That in, in exactly. some sense. Yeah, very nice. Well, yeah. we can we can talk about power in a subsequent yeah, episode, yeah. but just as a, you know, maybe the next last thing, because I'm interested in your last words on this. I remember being at a conference where the CEO of a highly respectable uh, organization on the West Coast 200,000 um, employees for it. This is the CEO said, just once I'd like to make a unilateral decision. <laughs> now this is the CEO. We've and been talking right. about people further down and there are more of them than there right. are C CEOs. Right. But this was somebody who recognized in that position, a male, that he had to negotiate not only only with the right. board, right. but also with senior people right. and right. below that level right. That's right. to get committed to what he wanted to see. And that would mean that he would have to adapt to what their needs and their vision right. was right. as well. Right. So it seems to me we often think about people. negotiating laterally or negotiating right. up. Right. There's negotiating down right. to get people engaged in uh, important right. initiatives. Right. That's right. Even in a place that's as hierarchical as the military, one might have the commanding role, but the ability to actually get things done depends yeah. on the relationships that you cultivate right. with those who are technically under your command. I always start by asking people, one of my first questions is, as the justification, how many of you have more authority than responsibility? so that you can tell people to do things and they would actually do it. And most don't. That sort of sets the context for, I think, why negotiation is important in organizations. Yeah. So the title is Negotiating at Work, mm -hmm. Small Wins into Big Gains. Turn Small turn Wins into Big Gains. Big Gains. Yeah. And when that book came out, as I recall, Time Magazine called it one of the best, or maybe the best uh, negotiation books of the year. So. Uh, they did. They did. 
Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, on that. And thank you so much for joining My us. My pleasure. On, fun. You know, uh, shall we say, limited sleep. You never right. would know it. Well. Let's remind people about how they can chat with us and with their fellow listeners on our Negotiation 360 website. Well, it's not just the chat that they can have with us and other listeners, but there are other resources uh, on the site. Um, you can find my Negotiation 360 self-assessment and best practice app. There are links to online courses, and we're putting up articles that you and I have written together and maybe some others as well. So there's lots of stuff on agile negotiation and adaptive leadership. Much of it is free. We've even simplified the URL for podcast listeners. Here's how to find us. Just key in the letter N, as in negotiation, and the numbers 360.expert. That's N360.expert, and you'll find us. <laughs>